You're listening to Conversations in Atlantic Theory, a podcast dedicated to books and ideas generated from and about the Atlantic world. In collaboration with the Journal of French and Francophone Philosophy, these conversations explore the cultural, political, and philosophical traditions of the Atlantic world, ranging from European critical theory to the Black Atlantic to sites of indigenous resistance and self-articulation as well as the complex geography of thinking between traditions, inside traditions, and from positions of insurgency, critique, and counter-narrative. Today's discussion is with Dr. Ana Lucia Araujo, a professor of history at Howard University in Washington, D.C. She is a social and cultural historian writing transnational and comparative history. Her work explores the history of slavery and the Atlantic slave trade and their present-day legacies. She has a particular interest in the memory, heritage, and visual culture of slavery. She has been a member of the International Scientific Committee of the UNESCO Slave Route Project since 2017. She also serves on the board of editors of the American Historical Review, the editorial board of the Journal of Slavery and Abolition, as well as the editorial review board of the African Studies Review. In this conversation, we discuss her most recent book, Museums in Atlantic Slavery, published by Rutledge in 2021. Our conversation here examines how slavery, the Atlantic slave trade, and enslaved people are represented through words, visual images, artifacts, and audiovisual materials in museums in Europe and the Americas. Thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Ana Lucia Araujo. So I hope I said the last name right. <laughs> we literally have yeah. been practicing before we hit record. Um, but once again, thank you for joining us. So before we get started into delving into this book, um, I want to ask you about the origins of this project. If you could um, narrate us into how you came to it, what sort of concerns personal, ethical, and philosophical drew you to the questions in museums in Atlantic slavery. Uh, Why this project and why now? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Why uh, this project? Then uh, I have been working with uh, this issue of how uh, slavery is memorialized uh, in the public space. This started uh, with a PhD in art history, and then I did a second PhD in history. And there was a component in that PhD in which I started looking at how memory of slavery uh, was uh, constructed in the public space in uh, West Africa, in the Republic of Benin, and in Brazil. And uh, the, the kind of tools I had to for that project at the time, it's a project that I started in 2004. And the tools I had were, of course, uh, I would uh, use uh, newspaper articles because part of the project dealt with a period that was closer to the present. Then newspaper articles, archival sources, but I would also look at the monuments, uh, memorials, uh, heritage sites, and also museums. Then museums, they have been in my work all the time when I have when I was doing this work uh, uh, in West Africa and also uh, in Brazil. And when I moved to the United States, I started incorporating the United States to my work and also other two countries that were part of this uh, environment uh, of my research that was France and England. Um, Then in all these uh, different geographical areas, I, I was looking at museums. Uh, how they were memorializing slavery. However, in many of the, the books that I wrote before, uh, I, had a, uh, I, uh, I didn't have a specific focus on museums. Then when I finished my last work, uh, then there is this a book titled Slavery in the Age of Memory. And my concern with that book was not to bring new research, but more to deal with uh, with particular concepts than concepts of cultural memory, public memory, um, official memory. 
in, again, in that book, I had uh, the, the museums that were present, but I wanted to, to make something that was more systematic, that would just deal with uh, museums. And my interest in doing that is because the, the kind of work that uh, I, I have been doing, and uh, probably you are aware of recent debates, especially regarding these demands to return, to repatriate um, the heritage that was looted during the colonial period, then African heritage in particular. Then uh, it was the time, I believe, to, to, to deal uh, with museums because these were spaces that have been uh, memorializing slavery for very long. They uh, remain unchallenged uh, for very long, but with all the debates about uh, Confederate monuments and repatriation of African uh, art and African heritage, the issue of slavery uh, remain important. Then I, I, it was a, a desire of making that kind of work systematic and in one single place instead of having the kind of work that I have been doing in the past that uh, look at memory of slavery, but not uh, using museums as a, as a, a, specific, uh, a specific tool. And this kind of work arrives now in a moment that is different from the moment when I started looking at these issues. Because when I started looking at these issues then in the years 2000, then it is almost 20 years ago, uh, most of my work at that time was to, em to emphasize the absence of monuments um, than engaging this past associated with slavery and the Atlantic slave trade, or to engage the fact that uh, museums were not telling this, uh, this story. And uh, now, of course, it's a different moment. Now this is being incorporated. But it's then perhaps the moment to look at how it has been done up to here and how you are doing things differently now uh, and to which extent uh, we are doing that. And it's, um, I definitely like this emphasis on looking at these spaces, um, how we use these spaces and how these spaces kind of affect a lot of debates and discussions um, from classrooms to what we even see um, in policy with critical race theory. So it's really mm -hmm. affecting um, everybody. And I think when I started to read your book, I was very curious. Do you recall the first time you set foot into an exhibition, um, you know, a museum the slavery exhibition. Do you remember that feeling? I particularly remembered mine and it was very uncomfortable. And seeing that this is your work, <laughs> how, how was that? Do you recall? Good question. I, uh, I, when I was reading then uh, some of the, 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 the points that you sent to me, I started trying to remember that. And let me tell you that I don't remember that probably it was the case at some point uh, when I was in college, because I come from a country which is Brazil, that is the country that imported the largest number of enslaved Africans in the Americas. And even if I was born and raised in uh, a state that is in the south of Brazil, where the, the black population it's not very big in comparison to other states in the country, but uh, today it can be up to 20% depending on the place. Now, uh, probably the place where I saw this uh, issue of slavery represented for the first time is a state museum in the capital the city of this state that is Porto Alegre in Rio Grande do Sul. And this uh, it's not a museum dedicated to slavery, but it's one of the first spaces indeed in the country that uh, started telling a little bit of the, 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 this history uh, than in uh, a space like this. Then probably is there that I suffered the first time. And I lived all my life there until 1999. Then 
uh, and I, I didn't travel that much then uh, outside the, the, the country or even uh, within the country at that time. But it, it, it was there. Now, when you were talking really about a museum, and later on, it was indeed in Republic of Benin, where I saw uh, then in the spaces that uh, we call museums, uh, this, this, um, this history told in a way that was very, very explicit. But not before, because this is the difference, I think, when you were, when you were raised in the United States or, and when you were raised elsewhere, uh, in countries where museums are not important, they are very often uh, in a very then in a state of decay. Uh, the objects uh, we see the case of Brazil in 2018. There was an entire museum that existed since the 19th century, then the oldest museum uh, that uh, was part of this heritage associated with uh, slavery and the Atlantic slave trade. But I. I, I didn't visit that museum when I was young, but the museum burned it down, burned it down uh, in 2018. These are things that we do not see happening in a country like the United States where uh, there are safety measures and where there are more resources. But in countries like Brazil, it happens. And then there, there were heritage sites. There, were, uh, there was this museum that there was this small exhibition but uh, it was never something that uh, was that much emphasized in a space called museum. Now, it was visible, the, 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 all the issue associated with the, the history of slavery and the heritage of slavery was visible uh, in churches uh, and uh, festivals associated with Afro-Brazilian religions. Then in spaces that are very different from the... the the official institutional space of a museum. Yeah, that is very true. I can relate. I think the first time I really saw a museum in, you know, about slavery was Guy Island in Senegal. However, I was very young and I didn't exactly understand. Or maybe it was too chilling for my brain to put together. Um, but I also grew up in the Middle East where certain museums or certain cultures were not exactly as valued, right? So my mm -hmm. first official one was, of course, the African-American Museum when I moved to the States, and that was only, what, in 2016. And it was so expensive. Like, the details, of course, we wa I wanted more. I was, I was already, <laughs> I was finishing up my master's. So there were some things, of course, I knew. And I'm like, hmm, there's a gap here. Like, maybe we should look into this. But if mm -hmm. I compare it to other museums, I was like, oh, so, there was more resources there, um, which were valued. And at least, the, like you were talking about, the care that's put into um, the museums here. So I guess I'm curious, well, there's two questions now that I have in mind, but um, can you tell us a little bit about um, why you chose to work with these specific museums you chose for this project? I know, of course, the format um, of the, you know, this could have been um, a, a continuous <laughs> project, mm -hmm. which I'm sure maybe it is, but um, so why did you choose these ones specifically? Um, it's a good question. Then I know that there are gaps, uh, but of course, uh, then the, the, the choice was oriented uh, by the countries where I uh, conducted research in the past. It included Brazil, of course, included the United States, and probably these are the biggest countries where uh, museums addressing slavery exist. Also, there was Britain, that uh, another place where I worked and France, two countries where this issue uh, was, uh, these were two countries where this, the debate started uh, earlier. 
then I didn't focus on Portugal or Spain because uh, it's very hard even to find any museums in these two countries that were deeply involved with slavery and the Atlantic slave trade. But you are not going to find this history address there. Uh, for example, today there is a work to be done in the Netherlands because recently this issue uh, has been addressed. There is an exhibition now uh, in the Tropen Museum in Amsterdam, and also there is one from last year in the Hikes Museum, also in Amsterdam, that dealt with the slavery. Now, uh, one of the, and then I didn't work in any other places in Latin America, then Brazil I consider as the central place, but I didn't work uh, in, in the Caribbean or in Latin America, and this is why I didn't include uh, these areas. Now, one component that is missing in this book, uh, and the reason why I didn't choose any museums uh, in West Africa, for example, is because uh, I already addressed uh, these uh, these museums in uh, other in other works, and um, and this is why uh, it was a decision then to not uh, to not repeat that. There was also, for example, museums where I worked. Uh, one of them is a museum in the in Wida, that is in present-day Republic of Benin, and this is a museum uh, that is now uh, the exhibition on slavery is being uh, totally revised. Then the museum is closed. They will reopen the museum soon. Then everything that I had for that museum. Uh, it's now history then, it's a, a way that uh, how they dealt with the, the issue of the slavery in the past, but there will be a new, uh, total new setting. Then I try also to vary then, to, to choose museums that were more community museums, museums that were um, then uh, public and private, uh, and uh, also when I started then seeing the major themes that were then all the the issue of wealth um, and look the luxury, also the issue of um, resistance, the issue of achievement, then the issue of uh, punishment, all these four themes around which the the book is uh, organized. I tried to see in which museums those issues uh, were more um, were more explicit. And that allowed me to, to narrow down um, the by at the same time keeping perhaps the, the, the largest and the most significant museums dealing with this issue. But of course, the, the focus is Europe and the Americas. Then Africa in this particular case is absent. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So just, I guess, you know, if you compared the previous work um, where you worked in museums in Africa, how do you see the difference in terms of how, um, you know, how Brazil addresses issues of slavery um, in, these in these spaces versus and how Europeans deal with these issues versus how you saw um, these issues be dealt with in West Africa? Yes, this is an interesting uh, question because um, in West Africa, you mentioned the, the example of uh, Gore Island. Then uh, the probably were talking about the, I don't know which is, I don't recall exactly which museum you were referring to, if it was the House of the Slaves or if it was uh, another museum. But uh, then in West Africa, what is interesting is that you have three levels, I would say, then uh, two levels. Uh, on the one hand, you have places that are heritage sites. Then there are places that are really associated, the buildings and the remains that are there are associated with the history of the Atlantic slave trade. And today, part of those spaces are used as museums. But the buildings it's, uh, themselves, they are... Uh, uh, they tell the, 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 the story of, this, um, of these atrocities. Uh, it's the same, for example, when you were talking about uh, um, then um, extermination camp in Poland, uh, if you are talking about Auschwitz, then on the one hand you have uh, there uh, a museum but the building itself and the site, it's where that those atrocities were committed. 
Now, this is different from when you have a museum, the National Museum of African American History and Culture here in the in Washington D.C. Because that is a museum, uh, of course, it's located in a space that Washington, there was a slavery and the slave trade as well. But the building is totally new. Then those walls there are not uh, witness of, uh, of these atrocities. Uh, in the case of West Africa, then what is different is that, that we have many of these uh, places that are heritage sites and that became museums. Also, of course, there is the problem. Uh, uh, there is the problem. There is the issue that uh, in many of these museums in West Africa, uh, we have a sort of tourism of memory, uh, which means that um, people who visit the Gore Island and who, who visit, for example, the House of the Slaves in Senegal, all that makes sense if you have a guide, if you have a sort of reenactor who uh, can try to reproduce the, the experience of those who passed through those places. Then it's not about the objects that are exhibited. It's not about the setting, the lighting, uh, the recording, and all the resources, finally, that we have here in the United States to tell this story. Uh, that in, in countries like, uh, for example, Ghana or Senegal or uh, Republic of Benin, these resources are not there. Then you have the buildings, and sometimes we have some artifacts, uh, some posters, but um, that's it. Then uh, people who are there have to create other uh, tools in order to tell this story. Brazil, I would say, that is somewhat between what we see in West Africa and what we see here in the United States. There are institutions that are older than in West Africa uh, that are called museums. that are uh, managed by the, the state, either the, the, the state or the municipality or sometimes by the federal government that are in charge of telling this, uh, these stories. And very few initiatives at the, uh, in the hands of, uh, I would say, uh, private hands. Uh, but in West Africa, there are uh, many initiatives that are in the, the hands of families um, and uh, people because also there is this sort of mirror of the, the West, of Europe and the United States, and people are trying to attract tourists. Uh, at the end of the day, they and calling these spaces museums because this is what the tourists is around uh, tourists they want to see something that um, brings them relates them to to what they know but uh, of course that in most cases uh, even if uh, there were spaces uh, in west africa that were similar to museums and later on became museums uh, the way of engaging heritage uh, is not uh, the same as in a country like uh, the United States or France or England. Then, uh, and and of course, the 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 contrast is the issue of very often of lack of resources, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting because when I was talking about uh, all the issue of. Um, of the, the 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 objects and African heritage that was looted during the the, the period of uh, then the, the, the colonial conquest, uh, this is part of the explanation of why we do not have these objects because they are elsewhere. If you go even to the Smithsonian here in the United States or. Uh, to other museums in Europe, you are going to find a number of artifacts associated with the history of the Atlantic slave trade. They they are in Europe, they are in the United States, they are not um, uh, in African countries. Then this somewhat explains this sort of, there is this contrast in terms of lack of resources and also uh, the ability of uh, forming or of, of uh, in terms of training people who would be able to to conduct uh, this work now of course it's changing a lot it, it has been changing over the the past 20 years 
there are new museums uh, that um, I do not know. For example, the big museum in Senegal, uh, then, uh, then the, the new museum in Dakar, I, I, I didn't see it yet. It's not a museum of slavery. But uh, all museums, at the end of the day, uh, history museums that cover these connections between Europe, Africa, and the Americas, they address the, the problem of the slavery at, uh, at some point. But uh, these are new developments that didn't exist uh, then uh, 20 years ago. But there is still this contrast in terms of lack of resources. And you're very right. I love the point that you make. You know, here, the lighting and the story, the recording, the, the lights are dim. You know, you enter the space and you feel like you're in a book for a moment. Um, whereas, you know, in West Africa, they have to find other ways of um, guiding. And it was just quite amazing walking through, I believe it was the um, African Art Museum here in D.C. And it was a lot of, it was a lot of, it was just I mean, in one hand, it's like, yes, this is nice. But on the other hand, you I wonder, well, how did you acquire this? You know, because <laughs> that um, that can be a different discussion all on its own. <laughs> um, yeah, see, and very often the, 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 what these museums uh, are not doing yet, uh, even if you have now these conversations and debates and demands of restitution and some objects, uh, for example, here from the Smithsonian, are being returned to, uh, to present-day Nigeria, the Benin bronzes. But it's still these objects, if you count, uh, in terms of what it, are the collections, they represent really a very small number of all that they have. And when you look at the labels in a museum like the one that you are referring to, very often there is nothing regarding how the objects were collected, quotation marks. Uh, then the, the then this um, this remains uh, this uh, remains a, a problem. Then and, uh, this kind of contrast and um, this is something that. Uh, of course, we address as academics by by and we debate and activists and curators uh, um, and politicians are discussing it, but it's not a contract that is going to disappear uh, tomorrow. Then it's a it's a very long process, and of course there is also the the terms of the another element that I think that is interesting are the points of view uh, in these different places. Uh, because uh, then people, they visit museums. Then, for example, someone who is organizing an exhibition in Brazil, they visit museums here, they visit museums in Europe. Sometimes they are trying to reproduce that. Uh, the other problem that exists is that uh, the Atlantic slave trade was a system that uh, existed with the interaction than of Africans, Europeans, and people based in the Americas. And uh, from each continent, there, are, there, is, a different, there is a different perspective mm. uh, that, is, that is emphasized. When you go to a museum of slavery in West Africa, you are interested, you are seeing an, an, an African point of view that you are not seeing uh, in a museum uh, I don't know, in New York City or in Liverpool or in, uh, in London. And I think that this is something that is, that is interesting as well. And sometimes each group in these different countries, they are trying somewhat to minimize the, the role that they, they had uh, in all that as well. Um, and of course, this is changing, but... Um, uh, it, it's interesting to to see that, uh, of course, that the perspectives can vary a lot. For example, in a country uh, that uh, the black population is so huge, like in the case of Brazil, or in a Caribbean country that I do not examine uh, in the book, is different uh, than looking at the, the history of slavery exhibited in a museum uh, in a place like uh, the Netherlands. Or even, um, I would say, um, as uh, in a country like uh, like France, but um, over over time, I think that there is more and more dialogue, and I think that what 
these institutions are doing in different places are very often uh, connected. And I don't know if I left a little bit our, <laughs> our topic. About no, that's, no, that's fine. But no, it makes perfect sense. They are, it is different point of views. And that's definitely the, um, what I got from the book that you really put, I don't, you know, you really give us um, this different view of museums, right? So you're just like, hey, a museum is not just a museum. <laughs> you know, the curators, mm -hmm. the st we should really pay attention to the curators and the objects, but the storytelling and the architecture of a museum. So it's it's not just about what we see in the panels, but really paying attention to how it's being presented to us and why it's being presented to us in this manner. Um, which I've never, there's some things I've thought about, but you really dig a little bit more deeper. And to your point of these different perspectives, um, you did mention um, uh, the four main themes that you've, you know, put in your book, uh, wealth and refinement, submission and victimization, resistance and rebellion, um, as well as achievement and legacies. Now, all, well, it seems at least the European perspectives they have this, um, the, the, it focuses on the theme of submission and victimization. So they seem to hold this over excessive focus on victimization. Do you, while you were working on this project, why do you think that there's this um, over victimization of, you know, um, black people and the savior type of role that they've provided? And in some cases, this they don't always make the link to how this continues on to present day. Exactly, exactly. Um, this is perhaps the most sensitive and most difficult uh, topic uh, to address um, because I would say that even in the first exhibitions that started addressing the issue of slavery, there was this um, this great emphasis on victimization and punishment. And uh, to a great extent, because you are seeing then, in, let's take the example of a country like Brazil, a country that was under a dictatorship between the 1960s and the 1980s, a country where racism prevails in all uh, spheres, this, despite the the the, the country uh, having a black majority, which is not the case in the United States, um, but it's still then on the one hand one can justify that uh, slavery was violent and was based on uh, violence. It was based on coercion. Then there is no other way to tell the history of slavery without saying that it was through violence that people were captured, transported, and kept under slavery. But when you start emphasizing that too much, you are in many ways reenacting that, uh, reenacting that violence. And uh, those who are going to these exhibitions and seeing that uh, violence uh, repeated, if they are people who identify uh, as um, black individuals, they are against uh, then um, they, they are experiencing a, a, a second layer as then this violence for a third second third fourth time on the other hand white people when they go to these places and see those scenes of uh, then uh, violence they are reinforcing the roles that historically they they had then and this is why memory plays an important role as well, because what is being repeated in the museum is not necessarily about accuracy. It's not uh, an attempt to tell uh, a story that is balanced, uh, but is simply to reproduce the, the feeling, then the emotion association, associated with uh, those atrocities. And the easiest way of doing that is by just repeating the violence, just by using those instruments of punishment and showing enslaved people as absolute victims who are not able to, to do anything to, to, to leave that situation. 
then uh, this has been the case uh, there are still places in the united states uh, but in the case of brazil is very visible and in european museums very often those uh, uh, themes they they reemerge all the time and when you are doing that you are not when curators and institutions they are doing that they are not attempting to uh, because at the end of the day, if you are telling this history repeatedly in these institutions, is to address a problem also of the present. It's not only to tell a, a story that happened in the past. Then uh, I would say that sometimes it's not something that is um, uh, uh, intentional. But when you are doing that so many times, you have to ask yourself whether or not uh, this uh, is not intended to reproduce these uh, images of um, people of African descent and Africans and their descendants as um, people who, who, who had uh, uh, no, no, no hope by them and, and by now as well. And then I think that this uh, is something that is changing uh, in places where there are more resources. But as an artifact, uh, a historical artifact, we can say that we still find museums in Brazil that repeat that all the time. Uh, we still find in some places here in the United States. In Europe, I would say that it's more difficult to find that uh, in new uh, exhibitions. But in older exhibitions, we would find the representation of a slavery. It was just then uh, the, the hold of the slave ship and uh, images representing suffering and, and punishment. Then uh, this, in otherwise, this is a this is the result of uh, uh, the the very racism through uh, on which slavery was uh, was based. That survives up to here, and when you are still vague, uh, then um, uh, conveying and uh, showing these images. There is an element of repetition that is um, that is going on. It's um, I couldn't have that. You put that in such a way that um, yeah. How how else? I don't know what to say after that in terms of just the memory and this reinforcement of violence. And because even while you were speaking, it's kind of one of the things um, that I felt in the African American Museum here in DC. Um, especially how they built it. It's really dark down and there's this violence on the psyche that I, I could not, I did not have the words for until as you were speaking, I was like, yes, I mean, of course it makes us feel uncomfortable. That's one, but there's this added layer of violence that um, you are enduring for the course of like five hours while that, while you're in that museum. And, I didn't have the language for it, you know, other than, yeah, you know, this is, this is a, an atrocity, but it's more than an atrocity as us viewing. And I think one of my memories there the first time was, it was um, this little white girl and she was with her mom and she looks at her mom and she looks at the slave ship and she's like, what happened here? And I mean, how do you break that down to like a six-year-old kid? right? You are, as you said, you have to, how these stories are being told to us, you pretty much break it down into punishment and victimization and people's roles, which kind of just continues on this um, violent narrative. And I think you make that point, particularly at the book, but in chapter one, this gap that I'm very, like, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing what you if you can speak more on it. Um, so we speak about, of course, wealth and how many of these artifacts were looted. So, and then you make this argument that most museum exhibit exhibitions fail to associate these atrocities um, to how European and American families gained their wealthy lifestyle and how they benefited from slavery and the Atlantic slave trade, um, which really caused today, a lot of today's legacies. So why do you think there's this gap in the museums where they speak about the wealth that's been acquired through Atlantic slave trade, but there's no connection or they don't make the connection? Do you think it's an intentional um, negligence or 
well, let's not talk about where these wealth lead us to today. <laughs> yes, I, I think that th there is an element of negligence and there is also an element of uh, not perhaps attempting to, 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 to connect the past uh, with uh, the present. When I think in terms of uh, this topic of wealth and refinement, we have examples, for example, uh, in that is a, a kind of setting that I didn't examine in this book that I do not consider them as museums. But we see, for example, implantations here in the United States that are intended to attract tourists, these former plantations where uh, there is a lot of emphasis on how beautiful the, the, the furniture was, how uh, beautiful the garden are, how uh, they had servants doing the, the work, the servants being the, the, the word sometimes used to refer to, to enslaved people. But I remember, for example, one, uh, some um, uh, displays in this museum uh, that is called the Museum of London Docklands. And they had this uh, exhibition. They still have uh, the permanent exhibition that is uh, London Sugar and Slavery. And there is there, of course, uh, uh, an entire narrative to tell the how London was involved in the Atlantic slave trade and the slavery. But uh, the, the, very often what happens is that are the displays, they are disconnected. Then we all exhibitions telling this history of the slavery, there is somewhere a display with uh, teapots, uh, um, then teacups, uh, then uh, all the instruments, the uh, tongs, and so that were used to, to, to manipulate sugar. And uh, sometimes disappear uh, also with um, these uh, sugar cones. Then all this idea of uh, sometimes with a painting that show one of these wealthy families. And the idea is always to say, look, there was sugar that was being produced in the Caribbean. This was work provided by enslaved people. Sugar was important in Europe, uh, was a spice that was very valued. And uh, this made uh, then the work provided by enslaved people and the cultivation of sugar led these families to become very rich. And this, look, it's, it was how they used to live uh, in these beautiful homes with uh, all this furniture and uh, with these particular objects that were also associated with the consumption, uh, especially of sugar. But... Um, when they do that, they eliminate usually from these spaces, from these displays, enslaved people themselves. Enslaved people, they were in the Caribbean. They were not uh, in England. They were not in France. We know that it was not the case. There were plenty of uh, planters and slave owners who uh, had uh, in their homes or who would bring to their homes enslaved people from uh, from the Caribbean. Um, and these were the people indeed who were manipulating these objects and uh, serving these uh, slave owners. But this, this dimension, this human dimension associated the, with the creation of this wealth is, um, is uh, often eliminated. And uh, through these objects that several stories could be told, nothing is said about uh, the real wealth that was generated, that it was not a teacup or uh, <laughs> a beautiful piece of furniture. It was wealth that lasts up to this day in many cases. And you know that, for example, in the case of uh, France, there is now there are some projects now, but especially in the case of England, there is a project uh, associating them um, and indeed is a database of all these uh, slave owners that were compensated when slavery was abolished in Britain mm -hmm. uh, in the 1830s. Um, and uh, the database has the names and how much each one of these former owners received as compensation. Uh, enslaved people, the former enslaved people, they didn't receive any reparations, but the, the slave owners, they received those compensations in several other places as well. In France, they received, they received also uh, in, the, in the Netherlands. But um, then 
there was wealth that was transmitted and that remained in the in the hands of uh, many of these families uh, sometimes from the 17th century through the 19th century and to these days that financed institutions such as banks uh, uh, churches as well and nothing of this is usually um, told in terms uh, when you are telling the, 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 the history of the slavery. Because at the end of the day, it was uh, an institution that was intended to, 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 to generate profit for those who, who benefited from that. It was not only uh, an exercise of uh, sadism uh, against uh, one particular group of individuals. There was something that was being extracted in terms of labor and in terms of wealth. And this, uh, uh, perhaps the space of a museum is not enough to tell this story. Perhaps a display is not enough. Um, and there are, this, uh, this is why also these attempts are often um, not uh, very successful. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about the sugar, um, it brought to mind how, yes, we see, oh, the teapots and, you know, the sugar cones. Um, I also remember the first time I saw the actual sugar making plantain, um, the sugar making machine, excuse me. And that thing was, I mean, it looked like a monster and it definitely treated, you know, the slaves like a monster. A lot of people lost limbs. Um, They lost just lives ruined. Um, Just even if you read some of the Haitian stories, because I remember having to go through those um, the, the narratives, it was, it it makes you look at sugar a little differently, let's just say, after a while, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it definitely was, um, this is the part of the museum that maybe they'll put, like, I think I only saw it once, like, oh, a sugar uh, machine, and then, like, you just move forward, and I was like, wait, no, that, that really affected a lot of Black families, um, and it destroyed a lot of lives, so it was something that, those atrocities um, are not exactly told, and maybe we need more than a, a museum space. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I think that the biggest challenge is also uh, uh, how uh, the, the 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 limits of representation. How uh, representation is limited when you are. Uh, Talking about atrocities uh, and uh, and extreme violence, how do you represent that? For example, uh, the the plantation, these sugarcane plantations, uh, for example, in places like Brazil, enslaved people. If Brazil is the country that uh, imported the largest number of enslaved Africans during the, the era of the Atlantic slave trade, it is because most of these men and women uh, and children were bought to were brought to initially at least to work in these uh, sugarcane plantations and they would not uh, survive and especially young men that um, that were the the workers in this in these plantations their life uh, expectancy was uh, very very short uh, also in the caribbean if you take the example of jamaica and so on these were places where life expectancy was very uh, very short and uh, among other things, it was uh, because of the, the working conditions in the sugarcane plantations uh, during the period of the harvest, then in the fields, it was, uh, it was horrible. But also for those who were working, who were feeding the, the mills, uh, who could, uh, they, they could sleep, they could uh, be tired and lose uh, a limb or uh, so on. Then uh, this is something along, for example, with the, the violence uh, inside, then in the hold of the slave ships, these are things that uh, uh, remain uh, a challenge. How to tell that? And is it possible to tell? And at the end of the day, do we want to tell everything? Uh, what would be the experience of, uh, like, to expose visitors to, to, to all this, this violence. And this, I think, is an element that creators and uh, those working uh, to, to, to create these exhibitions, they have to deal. Uh, because there are real people going to these places. 
uh, you were referring to children, for example, and this is something that we do not think much. Uh, usually curators, I would say usually, it can we have exceptions, but usually um, th th there is, of course, this concern of uh, telling this history in ways that is accurate, that is also engaging, but usually you are thinking about uh, an adult. You are not thinking about the children. Usually after the, the, these exhibitions are created, these creators, they, I would say that they create programs and the other uh, professionals in the museums, they create programs to make this understandable to children. But the, the, the setting itself, it's not made for children. And I still don't know, and there would be interesting work to see what is the impact that a space, for example, like the exhibition at the African uh, American Museum here in Washington, you see the, the exhibition is Slavery and Freedom. What is the impact uh, on the, the children who are seeing this uh, at such a young age that they are not necessarily able to understand many of the dimensions, but also even to read, because may, most of the work that you have to do in these exhibitions is to read this stuff yeah. as well. And when you can't, uh, because uh, of your age, uh, what is the, the kind of experience that is generated from, from there? Yeah, it's the, it's the visuals that they're taking in without the words. So how does that, uh, how does that really affect them? Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, I guess um, just to sort of wrap up because I could keep you here forever <laughs> would be, um, I know you've talked about the evolution of, you know, museum throughout the decades. So how do you view these museums um, as a site to either prevent or promote social change? This is a good question. I think that, uh, of course, it depends on people and depends on uh, also uh, then in, in terms of policies, in terms of um, political will uh, to make these places uh, then sites uh, of change. Then these sites need to be valued. We know that they cannot promote change if uh, the resources are not there. Uh, there are many ways to kill a museum and not providing uh, then uh, financial support is one of these ways. We know that in countries like the United States, the private funds, private funds, funds from companies, they play an important role. This is, of course, fine, but uh, governments also should have a responsibility because these institutions should not depend of, 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 from the point of view of the, the person who wants to fund that place, then there will be the money. But if there is no one uh, willing to, um, to pay to see that story displayed, that this uh, will not be the case. And this is one element. But I would say another element as well, because we talked a lot about uh, displays, about objects, about uh, how these objects uh, are acquired, uh, how they are presented, what is missing in these displays. But one element that I think that is important uh, is who are the creators? Who are those guiding these visitors as well? And um, it's important to, to, to also to involve uh, individuals in these initiatives that uh, are connected to these uh, histories. Most of these places, I would say, for example, in Europe, or even in places like Brazil and here in the United States, until recently, most of these museums would not employ, would not hire uh, curators who are racialized as black or historians who are racialized as blacks. Uh, then uh, the, the story of uh, an exhibition that has a black curator, sometimes with a curator who is identified as white, uh, the perspectives will be very different uh, from an exhibition that is just created by uh, white individuals uh, who perhaps have no uh, connection with this this history and sometimes do not even know this history. They are just assigned to this 
to do this work. And I think that we needed to we needed to have this sort of uh, inclusion in terms of who um, who is uh, uh, is who is creating these exhibitions. Uh, the historians they are involving in this this process. The other professionals they are involving in which audiences uh, we want to engage. And again, the work of memory, uh, which is to think about the legacies. Uh, we need to show to those who visited these museums that if you are talking about this still today with such passion and such uh, anger, is because uh, this what happened during this era of the Atlantic slave trade that is it basically is to give rise to anti-black uh, racism. Uh, this is what we are still dealing with now. Then if you want to address these problems of, uh, of the present, we need at least to, to understand how, uh, how, uh, how, how it was developed. And you cannot tell this story without uh, telling the, the history of this um, of these uh, atrocities, then this, I think, is the way of uh, promoting change, uh, engaging, then um, engaging audiences, uh, having spaces that are inclusive, but also to understand that uh, it's necessary to think about the legacies. And there are many places where the legacies are still not addressed. Uh, uh, it's something that is starting now, but I think that we need to do it more in the exhibitions that deal with the slavery. You know, um, I've been told jobs in the humanities are dwindling down, but I think you, <laughs> you make a great case <laughs> for the amount of work that's needed <laughs> to be done. So whether it's inside the classroom or outside the classroom, but this is why the humanities is important, right? So it's the, um, the our subjectivities can lead us to curate spaces which can provide, can be meaningful to others and disrupt either, you know, vicious and violent cycles. And um, really this is why we're, where we're all needed. Um, so every time I see humanities jobs dying, I'm like, no, there's so much to be, <laughs> there's so much to do, so much engagement. Um, it's, it's, we're far from done. Um, we've reached, I'm pretty sure, you know, more can say that we've reached a place, but um, still, like you were just saying. Um, so as the author of the book, I don't know if you've had a, a type of a certain reader in mind. <laughs> and of course, you know, readers are going to walk away with whatever they um, hope. <laughs> I, people can't see your face, but she, she's like cringing. <laughs> so well, how did you how do you envision readers or if there is one thing you want them to walk away with, what would that be? Um, I think that uh, I would say that uh, I, I think that very often I think in terms of a reader as my students and uh, people who visit museums and uh, what I would like them to, to walk away with is that um, to, to understand that there is a need to tell this story fully in these spaces and that they uh, engage uh, what they see in ways that uh, in critical ways that they that they can criticize and they can develop uh, critical thinking about uh, what they are seeing in these spaces and also with what they are not seeing because i think that this is one point as well then uh, we have uh, these themes but very often is about what is not there and that uh, this is what I would like people to um, to develop from it. And of course, there are space. There is a space to develop other themes. There is a space to use these four themes to look at other spaces that I didn't uh, uh, work in the in this book. Then, when you are working with this kind of uh, topic, uh, of course, that the book is a, a sort of photograph of what we have up to here. But of course, that. Uh, in years from now, there will be different other uh, photographs. But I think that the book can serve as a sort of tool, tool uh, a tool or a grid through which uh, we look at these uh, museums that tell these stories that uh, they are very difficult, that are violent, and that we have been avoiding uh, for a very long time. 
It's definitely true. Um, and to return that question to you, how do you walk away from um, this book, the process of writing and editing? Uh, Dr. Dravinsky always talks about how it changes you as a person. <laughs> a lot of people say they're exhausted and they want to do nothing but sleep when they're done writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how did it leave you? And um, what's next for you? Or what's the next thing you're working on? Yes, let's say that it was the case, uh, the, this book was a difficult book because first I made the mistake of thinking that because it would be a short format that it would be easier, it was perhaps more difficult than a book that was bigger <laughs> uh, because it had to be concise and I had to be able to, to justify many of uh, my choices and sometimes it was, uh, it was difficult. And the, the, my editors, uh, they, they, they did a good job with that. It was also challenging because I did uh, write the book. I, 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 I signed the contract to write this book during the pandemic. Uh, like Not during the pandemic, just before mm -hmm. the pandemic. And then it was done during a period of when I could not go to the museums. And I was working, and it was already the idea. I had already the, the material to, to, to write the book. Uh, but that was uh, that was challenging, and challenging especially because I had to be I had to be concise, and had also to uh, accept the fact that I left several other things out mm -hmm. uh, from from the book. Um, then of course that at this point uh, I am perhaps tired of uh, topics that are too close to the present. Hmm. This is something that uh, I work, then I have been doing this work on memory of slavery. I have a book on reparations uh, uh, as well on the history of the demands of financial reparations. And uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's exhausting because it's a story that is going on on a daily basis. Then I collect the stuff that is on the internet because I use this on social media that I call the hashtag slavery archive. And I, I, I collect a lot of uh, what is going on in terms of uh, new initiatives. And uh, I am a little bit tired uh, of this dimension. Then the project that I am working now, I finished writing a book. There is a sort of um, a broad history of uh, Atlantic slavery uh, in the Americas, but has three components that usually in these general books we do not have. One, I consider fully the, 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 the role of Africa. In this, this history, then, uh, the continuous impact that Africa had uh, in terms of uh, the, the history and the development of the slavery and the Atlantic slave trade in the Americas, the role of Brazil and also the role of women. Then this is a, a project that I finished doing, that it's not a book about memory or museums, but it's a history monograph intended for more general audiences, even if it's an academic book. And then I am working now on a book that looks at material culture during the era of the Atlantic slave trade. Mm. But I, th this starts in the 18th century, and I am looking at uh, what we call objects of prestige, that were objects that uh, uh, were intended to be given as gifts to, to, to African agents during the era of the Atlantic slave trade in order to uh, obtain their uh, support uh, during the trade. And I'm following one object that was fabricated in France, uh, brought to West Central Africa, and ended up uh, in uh, Dahomey when uh, the French conquered Dahomey at the end of the 19th century. They looted that same object from from there, from the palaces of Dahomey. Then I'm using the object as a sort of uh, lens to, 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 to tell this uh, long history of um, the Atlantic slave trade and transition to colonialism in the 19th century. Then this is a little bit, uh, in terms of time, is towards the past and more distant from the, from the present. Uh, than these uh, previous books. And uh, perhaps this is where I want to stay uh, for a while now. <laughs> well, they both sound really interesting, um, and the material, um, the second one, definitely. So we would really love to have you back on <laughs> to talk. Yes, about it would be a pleasure. It would be a pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Chris, thank you.